All right, kicking off the front page here with some interesting stories about pro sports owners. Uh, Chargers owner Dean Spanos is being sued by his sister. Uh, he has been accused of two things, misogynistic behavior Ouch. and breaches in fiduciary duty. So from the ESPN story, here's the accusation, citing a deeply held misogynistic attitudes and sense of entitlement as men in the family and to rationalize their pitiful behavior which she believes is intended to teach her that a woman has no rights no matter what any trust instrument might say the lawsuit also says that dean and michael spanos believe to their cores that regardless of what their parents intended and their will specified men are in charge and women should shut up so that's the basis of the misogynistic behavior there's nothing specific in there like that's just hey well he's he just believes... been she's accusing him of it but it believes that i it it just insinuates that the trust says she should have more power than she's having and this is her reason that she doesn't have it right she's just basically saying they treat me like a lesser second class citizen exactly because i'm a woman right but i i guess reading through the story which espn has the copy of the lawsuit there were no specifics there was no like oh he did this to right. me at this time right it's right. just they don't believe women are equal to men which okay that's bad but that doesn't sound like that's actionable in a lawsuit right like that's just oh okay you, i feel like there's gonna have to be some proof there for that to actually happen now where there is some actual specifics uh dean spanos is accused of diverting 105 million dollars from the family trust there's a family trust that owns part of the chargers diverting 105 million dollars of the trust to various debts also manipulated the trust to borrow over 60 million dollars for wasteful purchases of an airplane for dean and michael's use that has no legitimate business just okay, that's a lot more specific right and that would seem like something that could actually there would be some proof behind that right. and some act that would hold up there but i'm curious to see what happens with the chargers now because the way espn laid it out it's kind of confusing there are four people four spanos members family members that own 15 percent of the team and then there's like 30 something percent in a family trust and then there's still like a leftover like five percent that other people own so it's a little confusing but this is all over the family trust and like 30 percent control of the chargers that dean spanos's sister is suing him over wonder what uh it could mean for the future of this uh spanos family owning that team relocate them to las vegas give us two teams oh sure Oh, next question standing in your corner next question another story about owners uh this one a little less specific even less specific than the first one but this is the orioles uh louis angelos is suing his brother and his mother uh louis is the son of the orioles owner peter angelos and he claims well he claims that his brother has tried to make him look like an idiot and not be a part of the organization but he also claims his brother is trying to relocate the Orioles and move them out of Baltimore. Now, I don't know how you prove that. I believe they're actually getting money to renovate Camden Yards from Baltimore. So that seems unlikely. But another ownership group that has its own family suing other members of the family over the ownership of the team. Again, I, I again, it, it comes down to what's the proof of this? Yeah. I guess I could say, hey, he's treating me poorly and he wants to move the team okay like show me the proof i mean do you have emails do you have documentation that he's reached out to other towns or what if not 
I don't know. I don't know what the lawsuit here is. And even if he was going to move the team, what what lawsuit do you win? Right. Like I I don't I don't know like what what ha like okay he wants to move the team he's it, that that happens pro sports teams move so I don't know but apparently don't own a sports team and have a family because you're just gonna end up getting sued by your own family. Next question. Walker Bueller is shut down for six to eight weeks with a forearm strain. Is he gonna be back this season? Well, now I know why the four seamer was hit out of the park every time he threw it. <laughs> Boy, that four seamer stunk this year. Uh, so he had he had Tommy John when he was at Vanderbilt right after they drafted him actually um, right after they drafted him from Vanderbilt he had Tommy John so uh, Dave Roberts thinks he's going to be back this year I don't know I, I you know I, I six to eight weeks and then and then it's not you know eight if let's say it's eight weeks you're not coming back after eight weeks right you have the rehab you have right. to throw you have to you know the rehab assignment and all that I'm going to count on him not pitching again this year. So, surely he's got some level of maybe he can pitch out of the bullpen in the postseason because that that is the problem. If he's out for two months, he's then have to build back up his right. arm strength. Exactly. It's going to be very hard for him to be a starter and be like, oh, yeah, he can pitch, throw 100 pitches and give us five-plus innings. So, I'll be curious to see if he comes back as a reliever because, hey, Walker Bueller in the bullpen would be fun. Then you could yell about him blowing a save in the ninth. Oh, inning. and I would right there. You kidding me? Be swept by the swept by the Giants. It's not going well right now. It's 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 yeah. they're, they're not very good. Are right, they're still in first, aren't they? By half a game, they're not very good. The Padres will win wow. tonight and tie them. Ooh, Padres, only half yeah. a here game. Come, here comes San. Here comes San Diego. Look at that, yeah. poor Dodgers. Things are unraveling. Oh, it's unraveling. They can't hit. They can't hit. Mookie back in the uh, one for forty six slump. <laughs> I'm so glad I stayed away from their over under season win total. When they were at, I think, 34 <laughs> wins, the win total was posted one, at 101. A 101? Yeah. yeah. Good luck with that. And since then, I think they've gotten three wins. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, good luck. Man, you know, that's a great question. Number one, Tennessee was knocked out of the Super Regionals by Notre Dame. So the number one team in the country will not be playing in the College World Series. However, Ole Miss will be. Ole Miss is going to the College World Series. There you Series. go, kid. They You're were school. They were like the last team in, the last at large team into the NCAA tournament. Uh, like almost every Ole Miss fan that I know that cares about the baseball team wanted to fire the coach two weeks ago. <laughs> and and they're justified. Completely, they should still fire him. Uh, but now they're going and they beat Southern Miss in a super regional. And by the way, Southern Miss, the third ever team to be shut out in an entire super regional because they lost both games 10 nothing and 5 nothing. And now Ole Miss is in the College World. Good Series. for your team, buddy. You're gonna be you're gonna be watching or no? Uh, yeah, I'll be watching. We were I went with some friends that went to Ole Miss with me, and we were trying to watch it on our phones at the Astros game. So nice. Yeah, we'll oh, we'll yeah. be watching. I mean, they should still fire the coach, but yeah, we'll be even if they win the College World Series, they should still fire him. Didn't feel bad for Tennessee because I don't care either way. But what an incredible season, and not even to get there. Yes, they were oh. amazing. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they were. can't beat Notre Dame at home. They were so good this year, and then they lose to Notre Dame. Yeah. It's it's very funny. And blew a lead in the seventh. They were up yeah. by two runs back in to the back homers, I think, I think, for Notre Dame. Yeah, they were up three one or four one, and ended up losing seven to four. Yeah. Like they they got crushed in the last three innings of that game. Great question. Next Thank question. you. 
That was a fire Tony chant from White Sox fans during Saturday's game. The Chicago White Sox lost to Texas 11-9 on Saturday. They then lost again on Sunday, 8-6. The White Sox are 27-31. and 31. They are six games back of Minnesota in the AL Central. This was a massive favorite to win the AL Central this season. They won it last year, went to the postseason, and they are four games under and not particularly close in this race to a point where the fans are chanting, Fire Tony, during the game. Uh, Tony LaRusso's got to get fired, right? I'm surprised they didn't chant it after walking uh, walking Trey Turner on a one-two <laughs> count. We're, we're, they're a little late with the chant, by the way. I listen. I think it, I think it's too obvious of a decision. You like why is Tony LaRusso yeah. not been fired yet? Like he is very old and is not a predict, particularly good manager, and he's made dumb decisions like walking a guy with a one-two count that immediately blew up in his face and on top of that like it's one thing if you make some dumb decisions but your team is doing well they suck well that's the thing he's making he's making bad decisions and they're losing to texas right this team is supposed to be a playoff team this is supposed to be a al central champion and they suck i don't understand how tony la russa is still the manager he should be fired like there's, I can't, what's one good reason to keep him around? I can't think of one. His press conferences? Maybe, where he's <laughs> flabbergasted that people <laughs> yes. would question him. No one in this room would have done anything different. Well, we all would have. Like, you're 27 and 31. There's very little reason to keep him around, but here they are keeping him around. I'm, I'm, I'll, listen, if they make it through the week, I'll be surprised. Is it Tony the I'm surprised he still is now, but there's no way he can make it through the week. That's a great, great question. All right, so this uh, story was from Tim Kirkshin on Sunday Night Baseball last night. Joe Madden got his hair cut into a mohawk to try to inspire the Angels. This was during their big losing streak. They lost 11 in a row. He goes and gets his hair cut into a mohawk to sort of be like, yeah, let's get inspired. The coach is doing something funny. Let's break this losing streak. He got fired that day, and the team never saw his mohawk. Do you know the GM drove to his house to fire him? What happened when Joe opened the door? It's like, uh, Joe, well, what's happened to you? You've gone off kilter here. I've got to let you go. What did you do to your hair? Do you? Th- oh, do you think Joe Madden was like, hold on, give me one more game. I got the mohawk. It's going to work. you got to give me one more game. Uh, probably not, because if I'm the GM, I fire him just because of the hair anyway. I went to the house to fire him because they've lost 11 straight, but when I see the hair, i got to fire him because I, I think he's lost his mind a little. He actually wasn't going to get fired until the GM yes, saw till the Yes, until the Mohawk. GM knocked on the door, Joe opened it and said, oh, Joe. He was actually <laughs> going to go there to give him like a like a uh, pump him up speech and say, we can do this, buddy. I believe in you. Then he opened the door and said, Joe, you're fired. I actually think the GM got a Mohawk, too, <laughs> and was like, hey, I'm going to inspire us. <laughs> And he got, oh, wait, you did it? Oh, you got only one mohawk around here. Get out of here. Next question. Angel Hernandez claims that Major League Baseball made minority umpires look bad. And this claim goes with the uh, grading and review process for which Major League umpires are put under by Major League Baseball. He's saying they basically graded minority umpires intentionally, graded them more poorly than white umpires, and this prevented minority umpires from becoming crew chiefs. Um, I think one important detail here is this is the third different time 
that Angel Hernandez has tried to bring a discrimination lawsuit against Major League Baseball. The other two have already been tossed yeah. out. Uh, look, minority or not, have you seen Angel umpire? <laughs> I mean, it's it's I I don't I don't know if this is happening, but I've seen him umpire enough to where he's a bad umpire, no matter what uh, any of this if the, if this is a uh, uh, true or not. Um, he's a horrible umpire. Just watch the games. So maybe he's trying to look for a reason why they've you know graded him lowly. But I think if you just watch the games, you understand why he's graded the way he is. If it's true, they need a better spokesperson than Angel. Yes, Dad. yes. I mean, you walk into court and put on a few, uh, put on a few tapes of his games, and the jury's like, uh, you know, uh, sorry, no, no lawsuit. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some Raiders. I did my best to try and convince Aaron Donald to retire. Um, obviously, that didn't work. You know, I told him he's accomplished all he can accomplish. I think it's a great idea to go out on your own terms, all that. And then I told Cup, I was basically like, I know you and Sean are friends, but. Stop taking that McVeigh discount. Hold out for the first three weeks and get something sorted out. And you can tell that that did not work out either. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Ed, you got one more day of minicamp tomorrow with the Raiders? OTAs. Um, OTAs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Um, we're waiting on the uh, email about that, about what the situation will be for tomorrow, yeah. So you got three days last week, and here's a question for you. Two-part question for you. Is McDaniels more secretive than Belichick? And can you think of any reason why? Like, what's the benefit for McDaniels and the Raiders making the media stand four football fields away when they're going through stretching and warm-ups at OTAs? I mean, is he more secretive than Belichick? I think he says more and says nothing. So the answers are much longer, but it's the same result where he doesn't really say anything, but he talks a lot more. Um, look, I think it's, you know, people say, oh, don't say it, don't say it. But if you, I'm sorry, I think it's probably Patriots West when it comes to the standing four football fields away. I think, I think that's, he, he was there. He was in New England forever. I'll say it again. I have not been in New England Patriots practice, so I don't know how far away they stand or what the, what is meant to be, but I don't know, you know, it, it's, I think you can absolutely say he's like Belichick until proven wrong. And at this point, I don't think it can be proven wrong given sort of how he talks a lot and doesn't say much and where he puts the media to watch practice. I don't think you can say that he's not like him. Were you close enough to count stats on Derek Carr's passes? Uh, no, because when they actually went to team, they put like 700 huge men uh, across the field so we couldn't see anything. So yeah. we saw some, I saw a few picks. Um, but in terms of counting stats and how far or how much they gained, and there's no chance, no way. Because here's the the obvious comparison is to New, to New England, but Jeff Howe is somebody that covers the Patriots. And last week, he tweeted out, Mac Jones opened minicamp by completing 21 of 23 passes, started with 20 consecutive completions. He was 7 of 9 in 11 on yeah, 11. we weren't close to that. Right, and that's the part that I find interesting like new england media is is close enough and capable to actually count mac jones passes to give people hey here's what mac jones completed whereas you couldn't because you were four football fields away and they unintentionally intentionally lined all the other players up so that you couldn't see it's it's fascinating me because here's the thing does anybody learn or gain anything on the patriots by knowing that mac jones completed 21 of 23 passes in a mini camp camp. where they're not hitting each other no that's and that's 
Right. Yeah, that's seven on seven. That's the part that I think is fascinating is it's like, okay, there's there's not actually anything to be lost by the Raiders by allowing the media to actually see Derek Carr complete a pass to Devontae Adams. In all honesty, if they'd allow you to shoot a video of Adams making a catch, it'd probably be good for him because then it'd be, oh, look at this catch yeah. by Devontae yeah. Adams and people would be excited yeah. about it. It'd be fun. Um, so, yeah, I enjoy that. I know you've got three days. You've had three days of it and you have one more. The other question I have for you, based on what you saw at minicamp for three <laughs> days last week, is Alex Leatherwood or Brandon Parker the starting right tackle? I want to say it's Alex Leatherwood. I think he spent more time there. Um, the second day, it looked like Parker took the first team snaps, again, from what we could see. I think they're going to give Alex Leatherwood the first shot. I think when they line up um, in the Hall of Fame game, we're going to see Alex Leatherwood at right tackle to start. Do, does the idea that Parker took all the snaps on day two or the majority of the snaps at right tackle on day two, like, does that imply it is an open competition? Yeah. Or does that imply that, oh, we might have to move some guys around because of injury and Leatherwood might be able to play some guards. So let's well, just Well, he went inside sure and played guard ready. that day. Okay. So it's, I don't, I, I had a hard time figuring out kind of how to decipher that. Cause the first day I know I, the reports were, you know, Alex Otherwood took all the snaps at right tackle. And I was like, oh, well, he's the starting right tackle then until something changes. But then day two is like, ah, no, Brandon Parker's taking the snaps at yeah. right tackle. And I'm I'm curious to see how much competition there is. And maybe at that Hall of Fame game, what does it look like offensive line-wise? And how many different combinations do they try with the actual potential starting? Well, I think like, the Hall of Fame game, they try a lot of combinations, as right, they should. So, like, do they go out there and it's, hey, there's one drive and it's Leatherwood at right tackle and then drive two, Parker's at right tackle and Leatherwood's at right guard right. and then drive three, uh, Parker's at right tackle again and Leatherwood's not even on the field. Right. Like, I'm, I'm curious, like, are they still – how how long into the preseason? How many games into the preseason or how close Well, to they've the got an extra season? game this year. Yeah. They've got are an they, extra game with the Hall of Fame game. How long does it go for them to figure out their starting offensive line or until they're comfortable enough with it to – you know, stop experimenting right. with it essentially would be, I, I guess, the curious part there because they might they might have a really good idea right now who they think the starting five will be and what what order it'll be in, but they're still obviously, I think, going to experiment with it. So I'm I'm curious. Right, as well they should, given what happened last year. Right. So I'm, I'm curious to see what happens there. And the other part is, can they learn anything at OTAs that would make them go sign another tackle? Or is it just not enough actual contact, not enough actual, like, real football that they can make any determinations. I mean, they learned like, enough to sign a corner this morning. Okay, they signed Chris <laughs> Jones this morning, and I've been trying to figure out who Chris Jones is, and I'm just going to say it's very difficult because there is, an, there is an actually good football player named Chris Jones. And if you Google Chris Jones, Chris Jones football, you, you get the Kansas City Chiefs defensive lineman. But they did not sign that Chris Jones. No, they did not. They signed a corner who's played for four teams. Right, and Chris Jones, he went to Nebraska, and he has played in 29 games in his career. He does not have an interception to his name, has not been involved on in any fumbles, uh, does not have any sacks to his name. He does have 48 career tackles. I'm guessing he played a bunch of special teams yes, for Arizona, yes. a little bit for Minnesota. Tennessee last year was uh, where he played. I'm guessing Chris Jones is not anything. Is this a depth guy? Yeah, this is a preseason. This guy's going to play in some preseason games. And we'll and, see what he can do. 
yeah. maybe he's got a chance to make a roster. Maybe he's a practice squad right. guy. But yes, they signed a guy named Chris Jones, and no, it is not the Chris Jones that you know. <laughs> that that would actually be a big deal, right? Well, we add another Chris person Jones. to that room because they don't have enough in that room. That's right. That's right. The, the, well, is that Chris Jones? How old is that Chris Jones? Uh, he's only 27. Not that old at all. Yeah, there you go. They should sign him. He's probably uh, not a free agent, though. So no. there's your there's your so signing you, update. Oh, there you go when you when you uh, Google him. Yeah. The other one doesn't. The Raiders right. does. The Raiders guy doesn't come up. Yeah, you gotta you gotta try hard to find this Chris Jones <laughs> and his numbers. Yes, it's not great. So they did not sign the Chris Jones. You know, a different Chris Jones, and we'll see. Maybe maybe he ends up making the roster. Um, was it a big deal at all that Josh Jacobs never practiced with the team and was always just inside? Um, I I don't want to overreact to that because in OTAs in the past and minicamp they've they've held him out as well because they didn't want to get him beat up. It was weird that he didn't at all, though, given it's a new staff, new mindset of how they use running backs. But we didn't see him. He was supposedly there. They said he was there. They said he was inside working. So I didn't want to overreact to it, given how they've handled him in the past with these kind of things. But it was a little surprising, given it was a new staff. Yeah. it. It's. I think that's the right way to approach it. It's not something like, uh-oh, what's wrong here? But it does sort of, you know, raise the eyebrow a little bit. Like, okay, what? Why exactly is Josh Jacobs right. always inside while everybody else is practicing in the hundred so, degree heat? Because again, the running back room this year, Kenyon Drake exists. They signed Brandon Bolden from New England, and they used two picks in the draft on running, running backs. backs. And we've sort of outlined, hey, is Zamir White going to replace Josh Jacobs next season? there's a chance he replaces him this season, right? Like that's certainly yeah. a possibility oh, absolutely. as well. And so I don't know what value he would have, but I think there is a possibility that they trade Josh Jacobs before the season starts. If they decide Kenyon Drake and Zamir White and Brandon Bolden can be our three backs that we use, you could look at it and say, we don't have much need for Josh Jacobs, but I don't, you're probably not getting a whole lot for a I was going to say, I'd love to see what his market value is. Right. He's going to need a new contract after this, after this year if a team really wants to keep him. And I'll say this. He's had health problems, but of the running backs they have, if I'm at, if you're asking me who I'm giving the ball to, I, I'm giving it to Josh Jacobs yes. more than anybody else. At least like to start. Right. And so it would be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a big risk if you traded Josh Jacobs because I think they'll be fine with Drake Bolden and Zamir White. But there'd be a little bit of risk to it because he would be the presumed number one back. All right, coming up next, Danny Webster joins the show. These are the games you live for as a kid, so it was everything I thought it was going to be and more. I mean, to give ourselves a chance to go to the finals three years in a row is something that's amazing, and to have a part in it tonight was was certainly icing on the cake, and like I said, just an unbelievable team effort. We deserve this one, and, and we got it. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter, at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now from the Las Vegas Sun is Danny Webster. All right, Danny, what is a worse blown series for Gerard Gallant? Being up 3-1 in the first round and losing a game seven with a three-goal lead or being two wins away from going to a Stanley Cup final and not winning another game? Oh, man, I, I think you got to go 3-1 considering how game six and game seven went. I, I, I'd probably go with the 3-1. I think the 2-0, you expect Tampa to come back and at least make it a series, and you knew that they were probably going to come back and win. So I'd, I'd take 3-1. Yeah, I, I think uh, – well, what did, what did we say last week? I thought I said 3-1 um, uh, given how it played out, which was complete buffoonery. 
Uh, is there any chance this is as close as he gets with this team? Tyler had some great stats earlier in the show and expected goals, and they were, they were horrible. And I think no matter what, even in the even when they went up 2-0 against Tampa Bay, because they had Tampa Bay's out playing them, but for some reason because of the goalie, they're they're winning these games. Is he going to get this close with the Rangers again, or do you see a deg- uh, regression? I think it all depends on how those young guys take that next leap, and I think it depends on what they can bring back as far as depth. I think they've got about, I want to say half their roster is UFAs and RFAs that they got to think about bringing back and thinking about how much they've got to pay them. So I think they are in the right direction. I It's just hard because when you're going against Tampa, like that's a crapshoot in of itself. So I, I think there is a chance, depending on how it, how the young guys develop and how that blue line uh, develops, but it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think there's a chance, but it's very slim. Should the Golden Knights wait to hire a coach until January when Gerard Gallant gets fired and bring him back? That sounds about right. I, I think we're on <laughs> par for the course for that kind of a timeline. At, the, at this point, it might work out for them at this point. Just have a, just have Kelly McCrimmon probably show up on the bench. He coached oh. a couple of years ago, so it might work. <laughs> oh, he'd love that. Uh, speaking of which, and it has been a while, but these dominoes aren't falling. Is this Even with Cassidy available now, is this really just people waiting for Barry Trotz to make up his mind? I, I legit think it is, and I think that's part of the reason why Vegas has been a little bit hush-hush in this whole situation as well. I think Barry Trotz is probably the one guy that, what, five teams are interested in, including the team here. So at this point, I think it's probably him not only just making a decision, but also him setting the market. And then once he makes his decision, then I think it's going to be just like NBA free agency. Once the top star signs, it just completely falls into place one after one after one. So I, th- I think uh, probably we'll have to wait a little bit before uh, some traction gets gets going here. If if it was your decision, is there one you would prefer, Cassidy Trotz, or maybe someone else? Yeah, I've been kind of wavering. I've been kind of on the trot wagon for a little bit now but now that bruce cassidy is available i'm kind of intrigued by that option just because we see what he can do with a skilled top line what he can do with a skilled team in general um but if you're looking for the one guy that could probably keep your five million dollar goaltender happy in these uh interesting situations i think barry trotz is still probably the guy that you want to see uh lead this team and i, and I still think you know even if it's a defensive for defensive first team i i still think with the with the group that they have depending on who they can bring back or who they decide to bring back it still might be very effective to see what he can do with this group uh saw his name linked to dallas until cassidy and others became available does pete DeBoer get a job i think so i i think dallas actually would probably be an interesting spot for pete DeBoer. i i think that the way that that team is constructed up top and then how that that blue line, if you, if you can bring back Klingberg and kind of stabilize it a little bit, I think Dallas would actually be a good option. I think Detroit would be an interesting option, too, if it, when it comes down to Pete DeBoer, just the way that young team is. So I think there are definitely options for him. I know that there's a lot of good coaches out there and a lot of uh, really interesting markets, but I think it, I think ultimately it probably depends if uh, if he wants to try like a little bit of a rebuild or if he actually, you know, wants to jump into a team that can be in a playoff. But I think, I think there are a couple of jobs that would be really good for him. Pete DeBoer waits. Gerard Gallant gets fired in January and he becomes the Rangers head coach. Yeah. There you go. That's exactly how it is. Wash, <laughs> actually, 
we just need to look up and see when do the Rangers go to Ottawa, and that's when we'll know that things will happen. And then and that's when we all book last-minute flights yeah, to Ottawa, poor and then we're riders. all the way out there. Oh, disaster. <laughs> uh, Danny, I, I'm, you mentioned something about Barry Trotz and keeping uh, you know, $5 million goal, uh, goalie in that relationship. How much do you think the Robin Leonard relationship with the new head coach matters? Like, Do you think McPhee and McCrimmon are taking that into account when they try to hire their next head coach? I don't think they are per se, but I think it should be important just because of how last season ended. And, you know, we can have the conversation of maybe it was Pete DeBoer's fault that that whole situation went south. And, you know, there is definitely a case on both sides. Um, But I do think that in terms of wanting to ensure that one, you're going to have like a fully there Robin Leonard, as in that he's going to be engaged and ready to go and not dealing with any distractions. You want a guy that he had his best, year of his career with you know coaching and i and i think that probably does go into some consideration and and i think because it's easy to say well they can just go ahead and trade robin leonard clear cap space do whatever and i know a lot of people especially my twitter mentioned the last few days have have pointed that out and i'm like there's no there's no sense in doing that because you're still not sure if Logan Thompson is a guy. So you need to be sure that you have a guy that you've committed to long term is happy and is available to be ready to go. So I I definitely think it might not be their top priority per se, but I do think it has to be at least one of the top two. So you're talking about the cap, so let's get to it. Uh, more apt, do you think that a huge name goes, or they try to do this with several players? Well, I tried to dissect that last week when I wrote when I wrote my story on what what they might do, what they could do, and they I used a bunch of uh, projections for the for next contracts. I think ultimately they're going to have to make at least two trades, if not three, and it, the top two being Dodonov and Brassois. After that. Depending on how much Nick Waugh can get on a new deal, depending on how much Nick Hague can get in a new deal, depending on how much Brett Howden can get, it, it's very it's very tricky. They are in a very tricky situation to where you're not even sure who they should bring back to that point. But I do ultimately think they let Riley Smith walk unless he takes a ridiculous discount and depending on how you feel about it, the forward core, the defenseman, it, I think ultimately it might come down to either William Carlson or Alec Martinez that gets traded to clear up that last bit of cap space. And it, it's not going to make a lot of people happy, but this is the, uh, this is the situation that they put themselves in. And now they got to figure out a way to climb out of it. Which of those two would be easier to cover up if they traded away Carlson or Martinez? I think ultimately, Martinez just because of the depth at the blue line you're not you're not sure what you can get ultimately out of a guy like Nick Hague and you're not and you're probably not even sure if Ben Hutton and Dylan Coughlin are surefire number six options so that to where I can probably say Martinez Carlson is the center depth on this team is very easy to plug in but it's hard to find a guy that can play a a 200 foot game like Carlson so Ultimately, I think Martinez out of the two would be the easiest to move. You didn't mention Pacioretty. Would there be any chance? I think, I mean, if you're a team that's already struggling to score goals, trading one of your best goal scorers probably isn't the best idea, in my opinion. I I still think if you really think that Pacioretty is 
one, not going to resign, and two, you think you can get some decent value out of him, maybe I'd wait until the trade deadline, depending on where you are. I, I mean, I just don't see what you can get, what teams are trying to not help the Golden Knights. That, that's the ultimate thing. Like, these teams are not going to sit idly by and like, oh, yeah, we'll give you a first and a player for Pacioretty or whatever. And I, I, the bulk of these deals are going to be cap dumps. And if you're dumping off another $7 million player for essentially the ghost of Mikhail Hakkarainen, I, I don't know if that's a good idea right now. Will they play a game this upcoming season with less than 20 players dressed? It's not bad if I say yes, right? Because we've already seen it so many <laughs> it's times. Not before. It's not bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> we've seen it so many times. Like I, I, I would be hard pressed for me to say no. Even I don't know if we'll get to the point where we'll ever see fifteen skaters like it was that <laughs> uh, that last home game in the bubble year, but or not the bubble year, the uh, the COVID year. But yeah, yeah, I, I can see that happening, especially if they, God forbid, go out and make another trade. All right, put you on the spot. Who's the coach? I ultimately think it is going to be Trotz. Um, I, I just think that there is, it, it's weird to see the waiting game play out. And I think when you look at the teams that are available that need a coach, I do think if Trotz does feel the urge to want to coach this year, Vegas is probably his best option, unless he wants to go back home to Winnipeg. So that's, that's another factor. But I do think if he wants the best option to give him a chance to win, it'll be Vegas. So I do think it's going to be very Trotz. Well, he is Danny Webster from the Las Vegas Sun. Danny, we appreciate your time Thanks, this Danny. morning. Appreciate it, guys. Appreciate Thanks for having me. So, Danny Barry Webster Trotz. from the Sun. Uh, yeah, I. it's boring. Like, can we do something? <laughs> you mean don't hire him or hire him right now and just get it over with? I mean, I don't know. Just give, give us something. Like, at least give us some little, like, leaked details of, oh, Barry Trotz interviewed, and he wants this, but the Golden Knights aren't willing to give it. Like, just give us something. Are you impressed that uh, – and here's the thing, because national hockey writers, national hockey Twitter seem to, like, be ahead of everyone, which is fine. But they don't even seem to know. Like, no. it's it, there, there's nothing out there. It's not like, hey, Trotz is down to Vegas and Winnipeg, or, you know, Cassidy's kind of moving in on Vegas now because, you know, Trotz isn't sure. There's, like, no information out there for these coaches, and there's, like, 100 jobs available. I mean, I hope what's happening here is that everybody's waiting on Barry Trotz and he's at some lake house in Canada without cell phone service and just has no idea <laughs> that people are waiting on him. Like, that's what I hope's happening here, that he's just off, just not paying attention to anything. And everybody else is like, where's Barry Trotz? <laughs> he doesn't what even remember here? interviewing with anybody. Right. I, and he comes back and he's like, guys, I'm, I'm taking a year off. What exactly. are you what are you guys doing? In the like, next hour, five coaches are hired. Right. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, I hope that's what's happening here because this is—it's a little ridiculous. Like, I get it. It's you kind of wait for the number one guy, to, and then the market can react. But like, come on, can we do something? At least give us some more reporting. I'm just—it's just boring. It's a coaching search, and there's no search part of it. We're just waiting for Barry Trotz to pick up the phone and make a decision. Coming up next, we'll jump into some golf because. Rory McIlroy's taking shots at everybody. A little tap in for Charles Schwartzel, the 2011 Masters champion, is our inaugural Live Golf winner here at Centurion. Four million dollars for Charles Schwartzel, who has been magnificent here in Hertfordshire. 
We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. We had the Live Tour and the Canadian Open. Rory McIlroy won the Canadian Open, took a shot at Greg Norman uh, afterwards. Pretty funny, uh, actually. Yeah, uh, Norman is the CEO of the Live Tour, and McIlroy said, 21st PGA Tour, one more win than someone else. That gave me a little extra incentive today. Really happy to get that done. Uh, Norman has 20 PGA Tour wins. Uh, Danny, I believe you follow this closer than I do. What do you have for us about this? Yeah, I I didn't follow it extremely close because it wasn't uh, it wasn't televised. At least from what I know, I was just following on their personal website. But uh, a little bit of a Candy's Chonies type of thing for you. Um, two numbers. We're gonna stick with golf. Even so zero. And plus 24. Plus 24, uh, is that what Mickelson shot? No, it wasn't. Okay, but he, because he was at plus 10 at one point. Was he? Yeah. Um, I Is plus 24 what the last place finisher of the live tour shot? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Uh, even. I don't know. What's even? Even so, par? Yes, even par. So those two numbers, even par and plus 24 are the two numbers of the 48th place finishers. Plus 24 was on LIV Tour. The even par was on PGA Tour. The, and the, the even, guy got paid a lot more. The even par finishers, each walked. there were four of them, each walked away with just over $22,000. The live tour guy finishing in last walked away with $120,000 <laughs> for an entire round less <laughs> than what PGA Tour guys Yeah, he played. shot 24 over through 54. Yep. And made five times the amount of money. Wow. So, okay. because the, And that's the crazy part. On the high end, Schwartzel won $4 million for winning the tournament yes, uh, over the weekend. Plus, he got 750000 because there's this team component that, that his team finished in first. McElroy made $1.56 million. We're talking about tripling the money here for the winner of these two tournaments for the live tournament versus the PGA tour. And this is where I'm, I'm curious because I feel like we're going to get one of two extremes, either the live tour is going to fail or it's going to crush the PGA because there's so much money involved. Like you're tripling, nearly quadrupling the prize money. And I have to imagine that either the live tour takes off and the PGA just gets hammered here. And I know there's a lot of criticism for the live tour. I know there's justified reasons not to be playing in it, but we're, we're talking about a guy making that was the, this was the stat here from Yahoo story. Schwartzel collected more prize money this weekend than he had in his last four years playing on the PGA Mm -hmm. tour combined. When, when we're talking about that four years worth of playing golf compared to one weekend, there's no way golfers stay in the PGA. That is absurd money, but the money is so absurd that I can't imagine they're actually well, going to make money on the live tour anytime soon. That's the and question, so, and we know well, but do we do know those back in the live tour have some money? But how long are they willing to lose <laughs> right. money? I guess like one of the key things Danny just said: not televised. Where do right. all of our sports leagues make money? Media yeah, deals, sponsorship, these media deals, being television. on television. Yeah, and so if they're willing to like lose money for I don't know two years, but then hey, in two years they're expecting we'll have taken out the PGA and it's going to be us. P- 
People are going to be coming to us for sponsorships. People are going to be coming to us with massive television deals. Then, yeah, I think this is going to crush the PGA and eventually be the number one golf uh, tour in the world. But are they willing to lose money for two years? Are they? If they are, then good to go. If they're not, if they look back in six months and say, how come we haven't made any money on this? There's no way it can exist because they're spending so much money that there's no chance they're making money off of this. Right well, now. it'll be fascinating to see if what happens uh, of what you said. Let's say they overtake the PGA Tour. It'll be ha- fascinating to see those now ripping it and saying they'll have nothing to do with it in terms of sponsors, in terms of TV, if they change their mind. Because if more and more guys jump, DeChambeau jumped last week, uh, Justin Johnson's already jumped, uh, Phil's older, so I don't know why it was such a big deal that Phil jumped. He's you know he's a lot older now. He's in his, what, low 50s, right, Phil? Um, you start, and McElroy obviously is against it right now, but if you start seeing guys like that starting jump, Stricker and these guys, um, you know, you're, I think you're right. They could overtake them, but every sponsor and TV person say we're against it now. We'll see, depending on how, how many people jump and who's over there. Plus, yeah, Brooks mean, Kapka's brother is already there, so I'm sure he can get into Brooks's ear and say, hey, man, there's a bunch of money. Yeah, Kapka was, yeah, Kapka's another one, a young star if he jumped. Like, I think there's a lot of credit to Roy McIlroy for winning and also being like he's, he's got morals behind where he's playing golf. But I'm also not going to blame anybody that sees Charles Schwartzel make $4.75 million over the weekend and say, huh, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should be the guy that shoots plus 24. Makes $120,000. <laughs> like, I don't blame anybody if they do that because it's ridiculous money.